This is episode 92 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for sharing your time with me today. The pursuit of happiness is often tied to the acquisition of more stuff. But we should instead be asking how the stuff in our lives prevents us from being happy, creative, and connected to the ones we love. Courtney Carver from BeMoreWithLess.com joins me to discuss how simplicity and minimalism is a path to love and freedom. It's not about letting go, but getting back. She also prompts me into riffing about why we need more diversity in the productivity and minimalist spaces, so you might find that interesting if you've ever wondered about it. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit SaneBox.com forward slash giant, and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com forward slash giant. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm delighted to introduce you to Courtney Carver. Courtney offers a gentle approach to simplicity on BeMoreWithLess.com so you can focus on what really matters. As a simplicity author and speaker, she helps people make space in their homes, time in their days, and love in their hearts for lives with less stress and more love. She created the Minimalist Fashion Challenge Project 333, which has been featured in O, The Oprah Magazine, and Real Simple Magazine, and she lives in Salt Lake City, Utah with her husband and daughter. Courtney, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, you know, we were talking before the interview here that you're in someone else's um, apartment because yours is being worked on. So I appreciate you making that happen um, and, and, you know, doing this interview. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you as well. We've met a couple of times in person and I've been really looking forward to this. So thanks for the invite. All righty. So, you know, I've been thinking a lot about people's journey to minimalism. And I think we all have a different way in which we approach minimalism and simplicity. And, you know, it was actually when we went to Simple Rev this last November that made me start thinking about the fact that because I've been such a moderate minimalism, excuse me, a moderate minimalist or pragmatic minimalist, that a lot of what happened in this space, I was like, ah, that doesn't really resonate with me. Um, We might come back to that, but kind of Tell us your journey towards simplicity and minimalism and really what made it work for you. Sure. Well, I mean, my journey is always evolving and how I relate to minimalism has changed over the years. But when I was first introduced to it, I didn't even know that it was happening. I didn't have a name for it. I didn't really know what was going on. 
I just knew that everything in my life was completely overwhelming and everything sort of came to a full stop in 2006 when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And in no way do I think that the stress and excess and busyness and craziness of my life caused the disease, but I, I know it definitely exacerbated the symptoms as it does the symptoms of all disease condition suffering. I mean, when we're overwhelmed, when we're tired, when we don't enjoy what we're doing, all of those things contribute to A, not feeling well, and B, not being the best we can in our relationships. So while I had had many wake-up calls prior to the MS diagnosis, that was the one that I could not ignore. And I knew I had to change. Um, I had to change my, my life, my work, really everything about what I was doing. Uh, but I didn't say, I'm going to simplify my life or I'm going to become a, min a minimalist. Uh, instead, I cut meat out of my diet. I did this one thing that I thought would make a difference. And it did. And once I had gotten used to that as sort of the new normal, I made one more change and then another change after that. And as I was making these changes to diet, to my home, to my closet, to my debt, uh, to my work, I noticed that there was this common thread and it was simplicity. And as I started to research that more and more, I started to learn about minimalism and apply different concepts to my life. So let's bring everybody else in because we're using minimalism in a way and we kind of know what it means. But just to catch everybody else, what from your take does minimalism or a um, simplicity centric lifestyle or whatever, whatever you, your take on that, what does that mean? For me, it means really being aware of what matters. And I had to figure that out by getting rid of everything that didn't. And so while that was quite a process, today it's this ongoing journey of really paying attention to, you know, does this thing matter in my life? Does saying yes to this uh, invitation matter in my life? Uh, whatever it is, you know, I just really like to take the time and ask that question because I find that when I am intentionally allowing things that matter to surround me, I'm a much better person. Uh, but that means consistently saying no and pushing out the stuff that does not matter. And it's not like you wake up one day and there's, you know, all that excess is gone. I'm faced with the, with the decisions and the questions almost on a daily basis. So you just said that it's not just about the material stuff. At least that's what I heard. It's not just around all the, how many things you have in your home or what's in your wardrobe, but about your experiences, about just stuff in general. Um, you know, I, I like using stuff as a technical term for just whatever it is, right, that's coming up, whether it's a project, whether it's a new commitment, whether it's a new relationship, right? So you're using it in that much broader way, which I think is an important piece because when people think, I think a lot about minimalism and, and simplicity, they focus on the stuff. The, the physical stuff, the material objects in their life, but not the, broad, the broader sense of commitments and projects and goals and just all those things that, that um, I've recognized for me are actually much more the way that I approach my sort of pragmatic minimalism is like I, I'm less focused on stuff, although that's important. But, you know, if our closets are full with clothes we don't wear, 
our mental closet is full of obligations and responsibilities that we also don't wear and don't fit us, you know? Of course. Uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, it's easier, it's easiest to think about the stuff first because that's something we can actually put our hands on and look at it and make a decision. And so that's really the, the entry point for most people. And I think that's fantastic because I think that when you clear away a lot of that external stuff, you really have a chance to go in and to clear out the internal stuff. And really, I mean, I know in my circumstance, I couldn't really deal with the internal stuff until I got rid of some of the external stuff. So the actual material things like you mentioned. Uh, But what is even more impactful and meaningful in my journey and I've noticed with most other people is not the clearing of this the the physical stuff but the total change in mindset about being intentional every day about the other stuff so yeah we're throwing that word stuff around quite a bit hey it's a technical term here Um, and so here you are you're you're cutting out meat, you're cutting out this other thing. And then you um, hit on clothes and, you know, you hit on project 333, which I'd love you to tell us about because that gives a sense for um, really, um, really what's going on. I mean, project 333 has been featured in, Oh, the Oprah magazine and real simple. Um, It has a lot going for it. But um, I think when I met you, like I knew about your minimalist work, but I was like, huh? Yeah, that would be a challenge. So tell us a little bit about project 333. Sure. So Project 333 is a minimalist fashion challenge that invites people to dress with 33 items or less, including clothes, shoes, jewelry, and accessories for three months. And to use that time to, you know, A, calm closet chaos, but more importantly, to define what enough means to them. And it is different for everyone. Uh, It started as a personal challenge for me. I I was working full-time when I started this. I just started uh, blogging about simplicity, uh, still in really in the throes of figuring things out. And I thought, this could be fun and challenging and terrifying because what if people notice? What if I run out of things to wear? Like I thought about all of these crazy excuses why I shouldn't do it. And I knew with all that fear surrounding it that there is probably some great lesson behind all of it. So I jumped in and at the end of three months, um, no one had noticed where, especially where I worked, where I thought they would, you know, I was working in ad sales, meeting with clients and colleagues and my employers on an everyday basis, going to events uh, and nobody called me out for wearing the same dress to every event for three months uh, because as I've learned, people care way more about what they're wearing than what I'm wearing. And I enjoyed it so much that I just continued to do it. And so now, I mean, almost six years later, I'm still wearing 33 items or less per season. And most of those clothes are it are around year round. So it's not like I have 33 new items for each quarter of the year. Uh, I think that would kind of be counter to the, the experiment, uh, but I don't need more either. And I have found it to be really beneficial, not in ter- not just in terms of 
you know, saving money, saving time, saving energy, saving space, but in having the confidence to live with less in every area of my life. And as it turns out, I'm not that interested in clothes or fashion, but like we talked about earlier with the stuff being the entry point, Project 333 has been the entry point for so many people where once they uh, transform their closet, they have an opportunity and a, this, another invitation to transform their life or their work or their relationships, which is really exciting for me. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about that and I could see Project 333 being the entry point for people, but I also can hear it being the exit point for a lot of people because, you know, when I talk about minimalism, when someone asks me about it, so on and so forth, and I talk about clothes, especially from women, a lot of it is like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, my husband can get rid of all of his toys, right? Um, and I know this sounds very heteronormative, but it's, it's what comes up so much, right? They can get rid of all their stuff, but I'm not letting go of my shoes. I'm not letting go of my purses, whatever, right? And so, um, I, th I think it's a, it might be one of those interesting challenges for someone who's already simplicity curious, but if you're not, it's one of those huge barriers. So just really what's, what's the gain? Like why would someone go through that if they're not already um, tasting the Kool-Aid as it were? It's an interesting process to watch. So when I talk about Project 333 on my own site or within sort of simplicity circles, if you will, people are curious about it. They, they want to try it. Not everybody, but a lot of people. But when I'm reaching um, more mass markets through a magazine article or a TV spot or something like that, there's way more pushback because it is their first taste. And like you said, it's like, hey, I'm not, that's not happening. I'm not getting rid of this or that. When I told my sister about the project, she said, that's great. My 33 will have 32 purses and a pair of jeans. So she wasn't down with it at all. Mm -hmm. But it's very interesting to watch the process across the board because typically the way it goes is people read about it and they say, uh, no, that's not happening. And then they come back to it and they say, well, I can't do this because of this, this, or this. And we talk about those objections a little bit. And then within about a year's time, they're giving it a try. And within about two weeks of trying it, they are saying, why didn't I try this before? My mornings are so much easier. I look more put together. I'm getting more compliments. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting progression for people. Um, so yeah, it probably does turn some people off completely. Uh, but I, I have a feeling if they are thinking about simplicity moving forward, they'll circle back to it. What I want to say here is you don't have to throw your clothes away to start Project 333, right? You can put them in a box, you can put them somewhere so that you don't see them and then try it without getting, letting go of everything. So I've, I, I say that because um, I've, I've, I've told people about Project 333, right? And they're like, I'm not throwing away all my stuff to try something. I'm like, no, 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 settle down, right? You can put them to the side and just try it, right? You can try it on and if it doesn't work, then okay, you haven't lost anything except for maybe a weekend of going through stuff. But I want to circle back here because as we talk about our relationship with stuff, it's not about the stuff actually, 
It's not about the material stuff. It's not about the dresses and the purses. It's about the way that we see ourselves in the world and the story that we give to the stuff, right? And so I think as, as people are working through the objections, like I can't do that because I just went shopping and I just got a bunch of new stuff. Okay, that's sort of surface layer level stuff. Well, I can't do that because I have all these functions and then people might see me wearing the same dress. Okay, a little bit deeper, a little bit going to like, you know, um, how I see myself in the world and how I want to be seen in the world. But the layer under that is if I let that go, this, this has been my, my sort of thing, but my, my observation, but you have much more experience talking about simplicity than I do. Um, my experience has been when you dig deep enough is if I let all of that go, who am I? And it's, I think that's a scary question. It is scary. And it is, I don't even know if we get to that question until we start letting go of the things or that we know that's coming. Although you saw it, I didn't see that coming. And once it did, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I could very clearly see that my shopping habits, what I wore, it was all about A, how I wanted to be perceived in the world. Um, This aspirational like who I thought I was supposed to be or who I wanted to be, but it was never about who I was because I can guarantee that when I was putting on a suit to wear into a meeting to show everyone that I belonged in a conference room, that was the last place I wanted to be, that I, my real self wanted to be. And I mean, it was like this mix of happiness and sadness when I figured out that for close to two decades, I was really not myself. And I had just gotten caught up in this, I'm supposed to do this next. And now I'm supposed to be like this. And I'm supposed to dress like this because that's what I saw in the magazines. That's what everyone around me is wearing. And even though I never felt like I was a follower or uh, following trends or doing any of those things, it was so much more than that. It was, you know, I wanted people to see me as, this beautiful, smart, wonderful, successful person. Uh, But if I think back now, they never really got to see me. And so now, you know, fast forward 10 years, uh, since really this just, I started to scratch the surface of all of this. I truly enjoy the work I do, the life I'm living, the relationships that I'm forming because I am attracting and connecting to people that are actually connecting with my heart instead of my blazer, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, they're connecting with your blazer, you know, they're not connecting with the way that, you know, your pants make your butt look like different things like that. And I know it sounds crass, but there's a lot of attention that we pay to those types of things, which if we take a step back and say, is that really what I want to focus my attention on? Right? Because if I'm focusing my attention on those things and hoping other people's focus their attention on those things, let's say I'm successful and they do. Is that really what I wanted to, is that really the impression that I wanted to leave, you know? Right. Or is that how I want to feel at the end of every day? I mean, not being yourself is exhausting. It's exhausting. Like you don't even know you're keeping this facade up day after day after day. Uh, But if you look at, you know, how you feel at the end of every day, I think that it's, 
it becomes more and more obvious even before you start getting rid of things. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's, I'm, I'm glad you said that, that definitely, definitely one of the spark moments for from this episode, not being yourself is exhausting. And what I've experienced is, I mean, and Marie Kondo talks about this in life changing magic. Um, Joshua Becker talks about it in, I'm going to make sure not to screw this up. The more of less, right. Um, I say that because of, well, Courtney, you know why, but right. Uh, you know, and I've, I've seen it in your work as well. Right. But once you start letting go of the stuff, you get this weird sense of energy back, right? You get this weird optimism and like it, sometimes it shows up as creative surge. Sometimes it shows up as emotional surges where like you finally start making other decisions in your life. Right. Um, you know, it's a weird thing where people will do things like they're in debt, they get rid of stuff and they start saving money and investing and they get all of this sort of willpower and discipline that they didn't have before. And I think it's fundamentally because a lot of that energy has spent propping up, like they're carrying this identity on their shoulders all day. And it's somebody else's life. It's somebody else's vision of who they are. And you get home at the end of the day and you just want to let that crap go because you're exhausted. Well, when you're not carrying that anymore, there's a lot of energy that you get back. Yeah. So you know what that energy is? What's that? It's love. It's love. And it took me a long time to be able to identify that, but that's what it is. It's my belief that and experience that simplicity is the way back to love. And it's people you love, work you love, a life you love, you know, and at the end of the day, when you have that extra energy to, and I'm not saying I'm full of energy at the end of every day still, but I feel very different than, you know, in the days when I was faking it most of the time. And I'd like to say that I'm, I don't believe that other people, and I know I wasn't intentionally like creating a, a persona or a personality or trying to be someone I wasn't. I, it was just like by default, it felt like that happened. And that's why intentionality is so you know, such a crux of the the simplicity movement because, you know, gone are the days of I'm just going to see what happens or go with the flow or whatever it is, you know, we're, you, you have to be thoughtful about who you are and what you let into your life and what you put out into the world as well. Absolutely. And the thing about it is um, it alters your decision-making processes about a lot of things. For instance, before, when you're frustrated and maybe upset or something like that, a natural way in which you might leave that is retail therapy, right? You, got, you buy something, you feel good about yourself, so on and so forth. When you recognize that pattern and you recognize that the reason you have so much of this stuff is because of that. Now, we can talk about stuff in the material way like we have been, but like a lot of people will be upset about themselves for different reasons and then make a bunch of commitments to change their life and change who they are. And then they've got, um, you know, they've got expectation obesity going on and they've got too much going on there. So you can look at it in multiple ways, but once you recognize those patterns, whenever you're upset or frustrated and you see that same stimulus and you start to reach for that same response, you're like, wait a second, no, not doing that crap, what do I do now? Right. That's, that's really the first, what do I do when I'm not, when I'm not feeling good about myself? Cause I can't just buy I can't buy my way out of my suffering. Definitely. And I, Oh, I tried. 
I tried so hard. I shopped for every event and emotion. I shopped when I was high, when I was low. Uh, and I wouldn't even label myself a shopaholic, but it was still that constant, like little tiny lift of either getting something new or chasing something new or distracting myself from whatever I was not wanting to deal with. And for me, it had to be this deliberate choice eventually. First, it was just going without, like shopping fast, go without and see what happens. And yeah, there are a lot of things that come up and what do you do? And I started to improvise and go for a walk or, you know, really get intentional about a morning routine or do all these little different things. But it all came down to really trading shopping for self-care and realizing that when I am frustrated or worried or bored, that's not my body's way of saying, let's go shopping. It's my body's way of saying, take care of me, please. Like, let's do something about this. Let's feel good in a healthy way, not in a let's go broke way. Exactly. And, you know, I think about this a lot because we are in the United States and in the Western world, we're, we're so blessed in so many different ways. I mean, one click shopping is an amazing thing. It's an amazing technology. It's an amazing world to live in where you can go on Amazon and for whatever it is that you want, you can probably get it in two days and you click a button and it's coming to you. That's wonderful. We have yet, I think, to really develop the willpower and the, um, and the character to be able to have that not backfire against us, right? Because let's imagine 60 years ago, right? If you had stuff, which not a whole lot of people had that much stuff, right? But if you had it, um, to go get more was actually quite an ordeal, right? You had to get in a car, you had to go to the Sears, you had to do like, it, it was actually a big deal to buy stuff at that point. Um, if you had the revenue, if you had the income, and if you had the means to do so. I think that put enough delays into that, I feel bad about myself, immediately need to feel better about myself, sort of drive that we have, that didn't get us in the position where we have way too much stuff, right? Um, there's enough time. And I think that's where I would want um, people to think is like, we don't have to be shopperholics because we live in a convenient um, over, over consumeristic society as a general rule that we can just go with the flow or even resist the flow a little bit and still end up with a whole bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah. That we definitely need more purchase pauses is there an app for that? There must be <laughs> something where you're about to buy from Amazon or somewhere else and everything just freezes for about 24 hours. Generally, that's enough time. Um, I think it's really helpful to keep a running list of the things you want to buy and see how you feel about it 30 days later because in almost every instance, it goes away. Yeah. It's never, it's typically not about the thing. I mean, sure, we need stuff, we need things, but typically the things we're buying we don't need to survive or get through the day with. What I'll say on that is definitely, absolutely. I have a to purchase list. I also have a decisions to make list, but that's another conversation for another day. Right. Um, but um, what I'll say about the to, the, the, to buy list is remove yourself from the context from which you made that original decision. So I, I often will joke Courtney about my experience of going to Barnes and Noble sometimes is that, you know, I'll, I used to, I don't do it anymore. 
you know, I go in there and I'm like, oh, that book looks interesting. This book looks interesting. I'm walking around Barnes and Noble with like eight books, right? And I know I can't take them all home with me, right? And so I'll walk around for another 45 minutes and slowly let go of one or two, so on and so forth. That's a terrible way to go about doing that. It wastes a lot of time, right? You can make a list and leave the store, right? Um, and come back if you really want it. Turns out a lot of times you won't go back, right? So leave that context, which is a little bit harder if you're on Amazon, a little bit harder if you're on an online shopping site. So that might be one of those things where you just need some time, you know? Definitely. And I think once we start surrounding ourselves with things that inspire us in different ways, instead of that shopping, and if, you know, becoming a minimalist is more interesting to you or interesting at all, you know, start researching that a bit. Uh, there are plenty of places online where you can really immerse yourself in in that culture and see people doing different experiments or living their lives in different ways because of what they've let go of. And I think once you find something more interesting than shopping, it gets easier and easier to distance yourself. What's interesting about this, and I'm going to pull back a thread that you um, that you kind of showed to us earlier is that energy is love is what you said. That energy that you get when you start letting go of stuff is love. And I was thinking before this interview um, about the fact that when you look at the leading voices in simplicity and minimalism, a lot of them are male. It's unrepresented. Like it, it's not representative of the general population, right? Um, they're like maybe 10% of actually um, if, and that be pushing it of simplicity slash minimalist um, thought leaders who are female. Um, and going back to my original sort of resistance to it, so much of that sort of male dominated um, literature is about you get rid of stuff and you make money, right? And then you travel, right? And then you get to do all these cool adventures and quests, right? And it had that very sort of young energy about it, right? Not so much about the love, not so much about the relationships, not so much about the experience. And so one, I just wanted to comment that I think that that's something that we need to talk about more and I'm glad you're doing it. But two, am I the weird one that just sees a bunch of like men talking about simplicity and minimalism and not so many women or it, tell, cause you're in the field more than I am. Well, I think that there are, a, I think there are many female voices that you probably don't hear. I think that there are more um, men rising faster in the space. And I want to say that carefully or not in a negative way at all, because a lot of those men are my close friends and I think that they're wonderful. And yeah, they're my friends too. So that's yeah, the thing. Right, yeah. right. But you're right. I think that they they have more attention in the space. And I'm not sure why that is. Uh, and I think that if you were to really dig down in their, in their writing, that you will find the love as well. But it may be easier for women to just come right out and, and get to the heart of the matter without sounding cliche. But to talk about that, um, because perhaps we experience it on a different level. I mean, one thing I can say that I really enjoy about the simplicity and minimalism space online through blogs and different um, groups is that everybody's story connects with different people. So, I mean, someone like Leo Babauta, who is the dad of 
six children and is a practicing minimalist, you know, may have more to say to families uh, where uh, somebody like Colin Wright, who really specializes in travel and visiting, you know, different countries every three months can really speak to someone who has that adventurous spirit. Uh, it's so different. I mean, Joshua Becker, Tammy Strobel, who lived in a tiny house, Mm -hmm. uh, they all come from a different place and they all connect with people in a different way. So I think that there is plenty of room for these different stories. And I think that's what makes it so special. Um, But I do think that the, the male, female representation may be very different than what it looks like in real life because the online version obviously is different. At least I find that in everything I see online isn't quite the way it's represented in day-to-day living. So, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to pull that out, not to, not to make it so gender biased, but because again, we all show up in different ways and um, we all resonate with different people. And that's the beauty. That's why I love the online medium in general, right? Um, my take on productivity and getting stuff done is different than other people's and it works for some, doesn't for others. I'm okay with that, right? Um, Just out of curiosity, are there more um, men or women, more male or female voices in the productivity space? It is very, uh, well, that's where you have to be careful, right? If you're talking, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but that's okay. I do that, if, I do that frequently enough on the show. It really depends on what, what tiers you're looking at right? If you look at top names in productivity, it's, it's very biased towards men, right? Um, if you look at not that top tier, if you look at the sort of the tier under that, as far as visibility and reach and things like that, it's more open, right? Um, by the time you get to lower tiers, it starts to be more representative. Um, and um, I think, well, um, it's been a while since I've done a full network scan of, of what's going on because that would take quite a while in, in the productivity space. But I think there are enough um, hmm. there are enough dynamics that go on that that give um, males a certain advantage to get to that top level, right? And I think a lot of times it's just our our perceived authority that we place on people. I think there's still enough social priming that that disadvantages women, um, and so I think some of that's going on. Um, but I think um, at a certain point, though, if if and when women reach that sort of top tier. So I, I think we see that same thing across the interwebs, right? Which it might be why when I, when I do scans, like who's talking about minimalism? Who are the top 20 thinkers in minimalism? There might be, you know, two or three women and 17 men, right? Because you're looking at that top 20, right? But if I said, where were the top 200 or top 500? you might see more diversity there. Yes. Yeah. I just, I think that's maybe the case in a lot of different uh, online spaces. I mean, just thinking about it in your, in that, that productivity niche and probably many others, but I'm not sure. I'm not, I haven't really done that research, but it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Um, the other interesting thing about it, not again, I'd have to go back and fact check this cause I did this look about, a year ago, 18 months ago in social media marketing, it's actually very female dominated. Ah, interesting. Right. And so there's something about that that makes like, if you look at some of the top names in social media marketing, you're going to get, um, 
you know, you're going to get, oh, Amy Porterfield, you're going to get um, Laura Roeder, you're going to get a Natty Lucier, you're going to get Marie Forleo in some ways. You're going to get a lot of those top names that you might not get in other sort of, other sort of venues. So there we go. So but, is, there, is there a solution or, or is it a problem in your mind? I think, I think the problem becomes um, a lack of um, creative, emotional, and intellectual diversity so that the conversation becomes about one thing. For instance, I think in, I'll, I'll speak of my own sort of um, lineage here. I think there needs to be a lot more talk in productivity spaces about relationships love, you know, things that matter at that level more so than just checking stuff off the list, right? Because for instance, a lot of parents will come to me and say, well, I'm trying to be more productive, but you know, I've got to take care of kids. And I'm like, you're not fundamentally understanding that taking care of kids and being a good parent is being productive, right? The way we've defined this entire sort of conversation is off. And I think where there are more women involved in that conversation we might at least open the door to say, you know what, actually like this stuff is really important. Right. Um, but you're going to get me on a big rant here. What, whatever. It's our show. So we can do whatever. The thing yeah. is, is like when people ask like, well, do you have a job and, and stay at home parents are like, well, you know, I work from home or, you know, does, does she work? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, I'm a stay at home par- parent. Like we disqualify certain types of really meaningful and important work as work. We mean, do you have an, a job outside of the home? which starts this unintentional um, evaluation between sort of working outside the home, which is the preferred route or the sort of norm. And then they're staying at home, which is what you do for different reasons. Unless, I mean, it's very contextual because if you have the money to have stay at home parents, then that's like, Oh, that's really interesting, but she's not working. Anyways. So, I think the whole conversation about work, which is related to the conversation about productivity needs to be more open, right? So that we can have conversations from mother, from stay at home moms and talking about stay at home moms, stay at home dads that are talking about what it means to be productive in that context. We can have conversations from seniors who are no longer in the workforce in the, in the traditional workforce that can talk about what it means to be a productive senior. So, yeah. So doing work in the world doesn't mean, punching in at the beginning of the day and punching out at the end. There are so many ways that we work in the world. Yeah. So in that degree, I think it's a problem in my, in my area. I think it's the same problem in business as well. Right. Um, But I think in a conversation about um, here's fundamentally why I get so interested in economic conversations, which believe it or not, simplicity minimalism is a, is a spur of an economic conversation. We spend so much of our lives governed by economic decisions and consequences. When people realize that they can be fundamentally richly happy with a third as much of the stuff as they're working to buy, it changes the way in which they might make decisions about those jobs. Um, so when people tell me, I, you know, I really want to do this creative thing, which is what I get a lot. I really want to do this creative thing. I really want to do this business, but I'm in this big home with three cars and kids that I want to send to Ivy league schools and things like that. There's this huge infrastructure of life that they put on their shoulders, right? And it's kind of talked about the emotional waiter. They put this huge thing on there. And when you just pull away and say, but is that making you happy? Is that really 
you live in the life that you want to live? Or do you have some idea that you're going to make a bunch of money and then when you're 65, you're going to finally do the thing, right? That's why I get so fascinated about these conversations, right? Because when we show people that there are different ways of living in the world, different ways of making decisions and still, you know, your brand is be more with less, right? People think minimalism is about giving up. They don't see that it's about getting back. Okay. That's my rant. Yeah, no, I agree. I think people immediately think minimalism, that means nothing. But in my experience, it minimalism is everything. I mean, it is, and I went through that process that you're describing where you know, I was working a job that I didn't enjoy to pay all my monthly credit card bills and to pay my big house payment and to furnish that house and to repair everything that went wrong with that house. I mean, real estate for me wasn't an awesome investment. Uh, it felt like a, a sinkhole. Uh, and I'm sure other people have a different experience, but I was in a, in a house that I was just taking over my life. And so I was working harder to, to keep all of that up. And so that was another piece of the puzzle for me. You know, once I realized that when the debt was gone and then the house was gone, uh, everything just opened up. I mean, my life is just now enjoyable and not an obligation. And yeah, I think it's, it's important to see that, that yes, there is a lot of less involved. There's a lot of getting rid of things, but it is to make space for the things that you care about, the people that you love uh, and health and happiness. Yeah. At the end of the day, like really at the end, I should say at the end of our lives, right? To make it more clear. I don't know that we step away from our lives saying, I wish we had more stuff, right? If only I could have filled my garage with more stuff. It's not really where we get to. I think I haven't gone there yet, but I've, I've asked people, you know, across multiple contexts, like really, what would you want it to do more of? It's experiences. It's more love, more relationship, more quality time, sometimes more travel, right? Um, but it's less of the grind and less of the, you know, less of that. And so in my perspective, that's what you're giving up. And that's not something that's really serving you anyways. Yeah, it sounds like an easy trade to me. I mean, if somebody in the beginning had said, look, if you give away all this stuff and stop bringing it into your life, you're going to have more freedom, more peace, more happiness, more love. I mean, I would have signed on the dotted line immediately. But instead, it was this journey that I had to figure that out. And I think that we all have to go through that process, starting with our kitchen cabinet, our junk drawer, our closet, wherever that may be. Uh, there is a great documentary out right now from uh, Joshua and Ryan at theminimalist.com. And it's, they're on a tour sharing this documentary. But I think what people will really get from it is hearing a lot of different stories about how people came to simplify their lives and what they gained from it. And once I hear stories like that, and what, for instance, when I was paying down debt, to hear stories of people who had been in debt their whole lives and then got out, to hear that, I, I could immediately say, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. And that was a starting place. So look for that inspiration and, and find whatever that connection is to start, to inspire the start. So I'm going to riff on that for just a little bit as we start to wrap it up. Right. So 
it's not necessarily it being minimalism, simpl- simplicity. It's not about letting go of the things that you love, right? Um, letting go of those things that matter most to you. It's actually not about that. And so if you have stuff in your life that you fundamentally love, a dresser, a, a picture, a dress that you got when you were 18 that means so much to you, whatever that is, like if you love it and it brings you joy, keep it, right? And cherish it. It's about not covering up those things you love with a whole bunch of stuff that you don't, right? And so, um, I, you know, I, I don't know your take on this, Courtney, but when some people ask me, all right, I'm, I'm, I, I, I kind of see what you're talking about here, Charlie, right? Where should I start? I, it would be dumb to start with the things that you love, getting rid of those. Like, why would you do that? Find the stagnant stuff that you know you just need to get rid of, right? That you know, like we all, I can think of some stuff right now that probably will be done, be gone by the end of tomorrow um, because I just came back from Arkansas, which always prompts me to purge a bit more, right? Um, That stuff, get rid of that first. The easy stuff. Get rid of the easy stuff first. Um, If you want to go all in, like life-changing magic of tidying up is great. She's got a process for purging and doing all that. That's one route that you can take. But if you're not really hooked and you just want to explore, just get rid of the stuff you don't want. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is I didn't even know what I wanted or didn't want in the beginning, except for that easy stuff. And there were things that I would look at and think, oh, I love that. That, that I love that. Or I, it, it over silly things. I'm not talking about like the really, the crazy sentimental things that really get a hold on us, but I'm talking about just, you know, a dress or a piece of furniture or whatever. I love that. And then the more that I let go and the more I saw how that was benefiting my life, the less I loved that other stuff too. So yeah, start with the easy stuff. You really, you know, build up your decluttering muscles and your letting go talents. And I think that the more, the more space you create around the other stuff, it becomes very clear what you want and don't want in your life. So from this episode and from your work in general, what would be the one message that you would want people to take away? I think I'd have to come back to this idea that simplicity will bring you back to love if you give it a chance and not to discount it as, you know, spring cleaning or taking a a box out to the donation bin, but it's so much more than that. It really is love. It's a life that you love. You have this opportunity to create relationships and health and work and all of these things that you are just crazy about by simplifying your life. So as the guest for today's jam, I'm going to let you issue the challenge or prompt for um, listeners of the show, what you would want them to do next from this. So Courtney, what's your challenge for today's listeners? It seems obvious to me that I'm going to have to challenge people to consider dressing with 33 items or less for three months. And if you get scared or worried or concerned about it, just remember it's only three months. After three months, you can bring all the stuff back into your closet but I, I recommend it. Just give it a try and see what happens. Courtney, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thanks, Charlie. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Courtney. 
simplicity is a way back to love if you let it, um, if you let it take you there. So as you're thinking about what to do and whether you want to take forward, I'm going to repeat our challenge. Consider slimming down to 33 things for three months. We'll link up to project 333 so that you can see more instructions and, and get more info about that, but see not what it, what it makes you let go of, but what it gives you back. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.